أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا أيها الناس قد جاءتكم موعظة من ربكم وشفاء لما في الصدور وشفاء لما في الصدور وهدى ورحمة للمؤمنين قل بفضل الله وبرحمته فبذلك فليفرحوا فبذلك فليفرحوا هو خير مما يجمعون رب شحلي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي الحمد لله وصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته everybody I haven't done a outside of the Jumas and my Dream classes. I haven't done a live cast for some time after the completion of the Surah Yusuf series, but since Ramadan is around the corner, and as I mentioned in a Facebook post recently, I've been contemplating a lot about what to do uh, this Ramadan. There were lots of different ideas that I was kind of chewing on and contemplating, and I finally, you know, reached Sharh uh, al-Sadr. I felt like I have now contentment about what I want to do this Ramadan, and I thought that it's best that I explain that to you. Um, so that's essentially the purpose of uh, this uh, live cast and this lecture is to explain to you what the plan is for this Ramadan. And where I want to start with is that, you know, given the last year and the kind of isolation that we've all been in, it's uh, it's been an opportunity to step back from my typical kind of career in, in Quran study and Quran education. So and a lot of that is with a lot of interaction with people. Right. But now I'm for, you know, a lot of times I'm speaking to a camera and I'm by myself or just a handful of people with me that are working with me here. Um, and it also gives you a lot of time to contemplate in isolation, not just think about what people are asking about the Quran or what people have um, concerns about or the comments that are received from others. But it's really kind of an isolated approach and an intro introverted approach to engagement with the Quran. And I thought a lot about, you know, really doing something different this Ramadan. So what I'm going to be doing is actually based on a single ayah of Surah Yunus um, and maybe even by extension the ayah after it. So this entire Ramadan is actually focused on ayahs 57 and 58 of Surah Yunus. We'll be talking about many different places in the Quran but in shade of these two ayat. So Surah Yunus, for those of you who don't know, and that's okay that you don't know, is Surah number 10. And these are ayat number 57 and 58 once again. Uh, and they are the reason I'm going to be doing the series that I'm doing this Ramadan. So what I wanted to do first is kind of lay the groundwork for this these two ayat and kind of contextualize them where these ayat are placed in the Quran, what's going on in Surah Yunus, because there's lots going on in Surah Yunus. But I wanted to highlight at least a couple of things that really struck me. And then inshallah, I'll be able to explain my thought process better to you. So these papers I have with me are a collection of certain ayat that I think will help you see the placement of these two ayat and what Allah is saying in them. So in the very beginning, this is the second ayah, Allah says, Zakana linasi ajaban an awhina ila rajulin minhum an andirin nasa. Has it been altogether too strange for people that we inspired, we gave inspiration to a single man from among them to go warn people? amanu and give those who've come to faith, those who've accepted his call, to give them good news. That they're going to have a first priority and they're going to have an honorable place with their master. Uh, Disbeliever said, certainly this is an obvious magician. This ayah is about how people thought it was very strange that the God of the universe, who's got so much to run and he must be so busy, why would he have time to make priority for some people, some specs compared to the rest of the universe that he's running? Why would he make a priority out of them? And he would pick one man among all of humanity. And of all the people he could pick, it's you in the in this Arabian desert. He couldn't pick a king, a ruler, somebody famous. He picked you. This is all too weird. This is hard to accept. And if he is such a grand king, why are you such a big deal to him? Right? These, these were the kinds of thoughts that the people who heard the Quran were sharing with the Prophet if there is a God and he is this magnificent being that runs the entire universe, why are you so important? And 
forget you so you're so important why would just us believing in uh, in him in the middle of nowhere why would us why would that make us important to him why would he give us qadama sidq with him like they would have a, a top priority and there's lots it's a loaded term top priority but maybe for another time maybe even a khutbah about that why why would he give us that so they found it strange that they were why would allah think why would allah deem us that important why why would we be such a big deal it's actually a commentary on how there's a there was a world view in existence that we're just you know happen to be alive we happen to be on this earth but whoever created us if there is someone left us here to our own devices and we just live whatever life we live it doesn't really have any meaning or purpose my life has no value to anyone but myself nobody cares about me other than myself maybe some people in my life that love me or something but other than that there's no higher power there's nothing greater that actually gives any meaning to my existence so they found it very strange to accept that that's the that's the tragedy allah mentions in the beginning of surah yunus he's talking to us and he's saying he out of his love and out of his priority for us he gave us his words and this is the reaction he gets that's just too crazy that's just too weird and then he adds other laments so the surah has sporadically it has comments from allah about how people have been reacting to what to him giving them his words Inna this is the eighth ayah now. Inna ladina la yarjuna liqa'ana wa radu bil hayati dunya wa tma'annu biha wa ladina hum an ayatina ghafilun. Ulaika ma'wahum al naru bima kanu yaksibun. Certainly those who have no hopes of ever meeting us. That's the idea that they're going to be meeting with Allah. And forget the expectation of meeting with Allah. There's no hope associated with that. Even if there is a God and I meet him, so what? What's the big deal? And there, there's no, and in this ayah, there's an embedded lesson that our meeting with Allah is supposed to be filled with hope. And this talk, it starts by talking about people that have no such hopes. They have no expectation and no real hope of meeting with Allah ever. And, and they've become content with worldly life. Like, okay, if I'm never going to meet Allah, and I'm never, there's never an afterlife, that's such a figment of people's imagination. Then all I have is this life. You only, you know, YOLO. You only live once. Let me just live this up. What biha? And they're completely content with the fact that this is all there is to life. ghafilun, and those people that are completely heedless, they're oblivious. They're, they're they ignore our, like it doesn't even exist. They completely ignore our miraculous signs. And he's not just talking about his signs and revelation. His signs all around. They don't want to contemplate it because they're too busy living. This life, they're too busy with what, what we will eventually learn Our petty things in life become the most important things to them And they get so immersed in it, right? In the, in the material and in the visible And Allah talks about those people and says They're just, they're going to end up in fire It's a tragedy that they're destroying themselves Then later on he says, yeah, they're, you know So, so far we've learned, they find it weird that Allah would even speak to them They find it, you know, uh, you know a fantasy that there's another life after this one and then these same people look at them. What happens? What, there are moments in their life where they do accept that there is a God. And they do accept that there's another life. They do. And when, when are those moments? When a human being, when, when harm and difficulty touches the human being, it scrapes the human being. It touches the human being. He starts calling on us, lying on his side. Or sitting up or standing, meaning he's anxious, agitated. The human, the person, a man or woman is anxious. They can't get rest. Sometimes they're lying down, they're tossing and turning to their sides. They sit up, they stand up, and they're like, if there is a God out there, please hear me. I'm in real trouble here. I know I haven't been good to you or haven't cared that you exist, but if you do exist, I could really use some help right now. And they, when, they, when trouble happens, then there is this conversation that a person has. And when we alleviate him, Allah says, when we alleviate him from his harm, then he starts walking around like he never called us to begin with, with because of a harm that it, that it scraped him. And that is how we've beautified for those who over, go overboard the, the things that they've been doing. In other words, Allah is saying the reason people forget about God after he helps them, after Allah alleviates them, is that they, keep, they, they go in excess into whatever luxury Man, times were hard Now times are good Now I'm really going to party Now I'm going to take care of number one Me And do whatever I want Whatever my appetites tell me to do And I'm going to go excessive So this is actually a, 
uh, describing the psychology of extremism, extreme partying, extreme drinking, extreme indulgence, extreme pleasure, extreme, extreme, extreme. This is musrifeen in the Quran. If you want to think about people that go into excess or extremes, the word for that in the Quran is al-israf. So now Allah then starts talking about how you think you're the first ones that have done this, that you that lived this like disconnected life that you didn't want to actually pay attention to reality and you thought that you're just left to your own devices and you have all the freedom in the world there are people that live like you before entire nations look at what happened to them look at how they destroyed themselves look at how they earned Allah's wrath even but you know what after all of that then after all of that we left you behind on the earth you me originally the Quraysh and now you and me we left you behind and much after those people that got destroyed, to take a look and see how will you do. It's your turn. You're you're up. Let's see how you perform. Let's see if you repeat the tragedies of the past, or you're going to learn from history and learn from what others did not learn from, and and live a better life for yourself and myself. And I'll keep going. This is ayah number eighteen now. The tragedy again. They they worship Allah, not you people that have now come into not the people of the ancient past, but you. They keep worshiping other than Allah. What do, what can't possibly harm them and what can't benefit them? What can't harm them and what can benefit them? And then this they, you know they have this uh, these saints or idols or semi gods, demi gods. These 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 mini gods. That they think are going to make their case before Allah for them. You're going to tell Allah what He doesn't know about the skies and the earth, or He did He doesn't know, and you know. You start coming up with alternative realities about religion and the unseen, and you want to inform Allah how that works. Subhanahu wa taala amma yushrikun. How perfect He is, and how far above He is with the above the kind of shirk that He makes. And there's a there's a connection here. People that become obsessed with this life. You'll notice that religions of shirk, they'll have a common thread. And the common thread is they go to someone other than Allah to make their case to Allah. So they don't want to worship God because God will have expectations. But this other intermediary, someone in between, he can, he can basically hook us up. He could take care of us or he or she or whatever that, that entity is. And then that, other, that entity, they don't have any expectations. God has expectations. Allah expects you to do right. Stay away from wrong, be just, be fair. Like he has expectations for you to live a good life. These people in the middle or these entities in the middle, they don't have any expectations. They're just, they were they met God's expectations, right? They were good to Allah. Therefore, they're in Allah's good books. Therefore, if you can please them, then they'll be, they'll make a they'll put in a good word for you with, with God. That's that's the that's the logic. And you know what that does? Then you can go to them only for worldly things. You don't go to them to become a better person. So you'll go to the, the idol or you'll go to that intermediary and say, I could really use a promotion. I could really use this, this, this person should, you know, I'm in love with this person. They should love me back. Or I need this or I need that. And I need the, I need people, the world to change in my favor. That's what the religion becomes. That's what shirk really becomes. So it's actually connected to what he said previously about dunya. They're, they're content with worldly life. Then they create a religion even, which makes this life better. Like the whole purpose of religion becomes to make this life better, to, to, for you to be happier. That's, that's what they, they turn the religion into. And then Allah says again, He repeats this thing about rescuing you when you were in trouble. Even the people that were you know, uh, traveling on a, on a ship and it was about to sink, and they turned to God and they said, if you just, if you just rescue us from this, we'll be grateful from now on. He says, and when he finally does rescue them, they go back to rebellion, going about in the, in, on the earth without any justification, without justification. Ya yuhannas, ala anfusikum. So this is, this is where we're getting closer to the ayah that I really want to talk to you about. He says, humanity, people, people, you rebelling hurts only yourselves. You acting this way, you acting up, is not harming Allah, it's harming you. You're hurting yourselves. This is just utilities. This is temporary things to enjoy in worldly life. Then you have to come back to us. 
then we will give you thorough news. We'll inform you in great detail about the things that you used to do. Again, more tragedy. When, when our clear revelations are recited onto them in a way that makes things abundantly clear. And they're absolutely crystal clear. Those who have no hopes of meeting with us, which was said before. Can you give us some Quran other than this one? Like this, this is so harsh. The reality in it is so harsh. Why are you like giving us this real talk that's too too intense? Can you give us like a, a feel-good Qur'an? <laughs> Can you give us something from this revelation? Can you come up with words that are just, they're supposed to make me feel better about myself? So it can be, it can be molded to my preferences? Because I could really use a picker-upper right now. So just give me something that will make me feel better. Or just, you know what? Just replace it completely. Just completely. The Prophet is told, tell them. It's not up to me to replace it from my own self. I'm only following, I'm following nothing but what was revealed to me. What was inspired to me. I'm, I'm the one who's terrified. That if I were to disobey my master, that I fear the punishment of a great day. In other words, me even thinking about another Qur'an, another revelation, or something else entirely would be disobedience to my Rabb, and I know I would face the consequences of that on Resurrection Day. So with this sort of, the tragedy of people just not accepting that Allah would speak to them. It seems very clear that so far we're talking about people that don't accept the Qur'an as the word of Allah. And here I am talking to you about my plans for Ramadan which is a conversation I'm having with those who believe that the Qur'an is the word of Allah, right? But I wanted to tell you that there's this unique ayah. Ibn Ashur rahimahullah was reading him today among others about this ayah. He said some beautiful things. And he said, this entire surah up until now, up until ayah number 56, Allah was talking to those who don't believe in revelation, who don't want to accept there's another life. They've just reject, rejected all of it. And they don't want to hear anything about the Qur'an. Even if you bring up the Qur'an, just give us something else instead. That's who they are. And then Allah decided to turn his attention away from them because they've clearly demonstrated that they're not interested. So they don't want to hear it. But there's a huge chunk of humanity who's neutral, who would like to know if the, the creator of all things, their maker, the one who loves them more than anyone else can, if he decided to speak to them and what they should do about it. What should their, be, their relationship be with his words? So this ayah, is actually an invitation to humanity and it's an introduction by Allah Himself to the Quran. I love this ayah. It's one of the most beautiful ayat in the Quran describing how the Quran should be thought about. Okay, you know, we obviously Muslims think the Quran is the word of Allah, it's the guidance of Allah, it's the it's the book of Allah. We have these descriptions for the Quran. But this place, it to me it stands in a unique place in the Qur'an As if uh, all human beings And when he says all human beings it, it refers to humanity at large And I would include the believers in that We should renew our connection to the Qur'an Because of ayat like these right? So he says Ya nas, And this, this is the ayah that I really want to talk to you about today قَدْ جَاءَتْكُمْ مَوْعِظَةٌ مِّنْ رَبِّكُمْ A council a counsel that is filled with things that touch your heart. The, the word mawiza is actually al amru bi fi'li al-khayr wa tarki al-shar bi tariqatin fiha takhweef wa tarqiq yahmilani ala al-imtithal. There's lots of definitions and I'm, I'm going to read through just a couple of quick things, but I'll, I'll actually summarize it for you. It's even better if I summarize it for you. The word mawiza means when you say something to somebody that sometimes scares them and sometimes gives them hope. And the word mo'idha means that you're trying to change somebody's course towards the better. The word I've chosen for in, in English is counsel. Counsel meaning you're advising somebody about the harms of the direction they're heading in or the benefits of a direction they should be heading in. And you're doing it in a way that is not condescending. You're doing it in a way that demonstrates that you care for them, that, is, that touches their heart. So you know sometimes when somebody gives you advice, you get more agitated when you hear the advice. 
or somebody criticizes the way that you're the direction you're heading in and you become more defensive which is natural mawa means the advice is given not just is it beautiful advice meant to turn you towards the right course it's given in a way that keeps your heart soft or softens your heart towards that advice so it's a very powerful word and he says before describing the quran as anything else listen to these words again humanity what's certainly a, a counsel that touches your heart that means well for you all of that in the word mawa has come to you from your master from the one who nurtures you from the one who's taken care of you from the beginning you could say somebody could say my parents abandoned me somebody could say my spouse abandoned me somebody could say my siblings abandoned me society abandoned me my friends abandoned me i feel alone i feel misunderstood you could say all of those things but one one the one who never abandoned you is your rabb is your master he never left you and now he's decided to speak to you in a way that is meant to be counsel for you and for me. What does that do to a... I mean, really think about what that does. I, I really contemplate for myself what that means. What that means truly is that when I'm reading the Qur'an, I'm reading the words of someone who wants me to change for the better. And he means well for me. And he's saying this out of love. That's all embedded inside. First, I'm going to give you an overview of this ayah, then we'll dive a little bit deeper. So counsel that is supposed to steer you in, the, in a better direction that comes from your master. The second description, there's going to be four descriptions. So four things the Qur'an is for humanity. He says, And a healing for what lies inside the chests. A healing for, and I'll say what? I'll say whatever. A healing for whatever lies inside the chest. That's number two. So, counsel and healing. I'm using one word descriptions now. Counsel from your master, healing for what's in the chest. Then he says, وَهُدًا وَرَحْمَةً وَرَحْمَةٌ, sorry. And guidance. Which is something we've heard a lot. But we've, uh, in my mind, when we hear certain terms a lot, they become cliche. So we stop connecting with them the way that we should because we hear them all the time and guidance is one of those words we'll try to revisit that word today وَرَحْمَةٌ and an act of loving care and mercy is a common translation of rahma. but those of you that are familiar with my lectures I, I, I try to go to the root essence of the word and it's loving care so what has come the Quran is being described as counsel from your master healing for whatever lies inside the chest guidance and, a, and on top of that an act of loving care from or, or for those who believe, for lil for believers. So that last part is like muhtas lil mu'minin. It's it's exclusive to the believers. So what I want to do now, before we dive a little bit deeper, is show you this profound, you know, parable really that's being given. It's it's figurative language. This is figurative language, and what Allah has done by using and the clue, the the context clue that this is figurative language is the word shifa. Uh, and there's a kinaya in it, and there's a, there's a kind of a majaz in it. Both of those things are happening at the same time. There's a, there's, he's saying something, but saying something, you know, impl implying something more. And he's also using figurative language. So how does that work here in this ayah? You see, uh, think of somebody who is, um, you know, who's getting advice about staying healthy. Because shifa means healing, right? So we're talking about health for a moment. So let's not talk about spirituality. We're talking about physical you know, your your physical bodily bodily health. Uh, the first thing is somebody gives you good advice about stay away from these foods, have these sleeping habits, have, you know, eat these healthy, healthy foods, make sure you get these and these nutrients, etc. Make sure you get enough walks in or get sun, get the sun in, etc., etc., which vitamins are important for you. All of that is counsel that is being given to you, advice that's being given to you that's meant to keep you away from getting sick, right? That's That's step one. So, you know, the old saying, the apple, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. The, the point being, just, you know, have a healthy lifestyle so you don't become sick. But you can't have a healthy lifestyle if you've never been educated about what, you're what you should or shouldn't be eating, right? What you should and shouldn't be consuming. So the first step is, in fact, mu'idha. But when sometimes people listen to the counsel or they don't listen to the counsel, maybe they, don't, they fall off a little bit, and because of unhealthy practices, they start becoming sick. 
Now when they become sick, it's not just the, the point of just giving them counsel, stay away from this, eat these fruits and whatever. That's not going to heal you anymore. You need something more. You need to undo the damage that has been done. And now that's, the role is this person like that who's become sick. They go to a physician. They go to somebody who has the expertise and knows what to heal that they're suffering from. And they're going to give them medication. They're going to give them a prescription. They're going to give them certain prohibitions. Absolutely, you know, for a diabetic, they'll have a certain prescription or, or, or not just prescription of medicine, but also a prescription of staying away from certain foods. Absolutely. Because they'll, they'll spike your insulin or they'll, they'll, they'll spike your sugar levels or whatever. On the other side, you could be, a, you know, somebody who's being told stay away from salt because they're being given. So not just medication, but they're being absolutely things that are, that are going to hurt you. You cannot touch them. Just stay away from them. And then someone says, oh, you just don't want me to have good chicken. You hate me. <laughs> and they go and eat that anyway. Or you just don't want me to enjoy chocolate cake. That's why you just, you just, you're just jealous. And you, I just want to live my life. And this person who says, I don't want this. This doctor just gives me bad news, keeps telling me I can't do this and I can't do that. And they go and eat their chocolate cakes and they have their, you know, their, their salty chickens or whatever they have. Who are they hurting? Is the doctor being hurt? Or are you being hurt? So Shifa is actually healing prescription, medication, advice that is supposed to protect you and also undo the damage that has been done. That's what Shifa is. It's undoing a sickness, undoing the effects of a sickness. That's Shifa. Then comes, okay, fine, you got better, right? So first it was counseled uh, advice that would give you a healthy lifestyle. Now there is uh, uh, healing. Now that you've been healed, you don't want to go back to the old ways. You want to follow a different, you know, set of set of uh, uh, principles to stay away from falling into that trap. And by the way, if somebody has become sick, then they have to follow a specific kind of lifestyle after getting better, not only because they may fall into the original sickness, but they are susceptible to other sicknesses now because they're not as strong as they were before or now their body has changed because of the experiences that they've had. So they need guidance on what to do thereafter. They can't just be left to their own devices. And so the, the idea of medical uh, guidance or medical help, right, going to the professional is actually made up of maw'idah, shifa, and huda. It's actually these three steps. Talk to a physician that is worth their salt, pun intended, but talk to anybody who's in, this, in the medical profession. The first thing is prevention, and that's maw'idah. And then there's, there's, there's the cure, there's the treatment, the surgery, the whatever. And then after that, there is instructions, you know, post-surgery, post-op instructions, literally huda. That's what that is. But there's one thing that isn't there in the relationship between a patient and a doctor. Something isn't there. You know what's not there? The doctor may or may, they may care about your well-being, but they're not personally invested in you for the rest of your life. Not necessarily. They don't love you. They're not constantly checking on you. And they didn't give you this advice because of their love for you necessarily. They gave you this advice because it's their job to do so. And you may be one of a hundred patients. And a lot of times you'll meet physicians that do care about their patients. And a lot of times, most of the time, you meet physicians that you're just a number. You're just an insurance bill that's got to be paid. You're just next, 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 you know, and they'll just, they don't even make eye contact. They're looking at the chart and saying, yeah, 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 prescribe. And they'll talk to the nurse. They won't even talk to the patient. They, say, they call it bad bedside manner, right? So who's going to care for the, the patient? It's not going to be the doctor. It's going to be the family members that are going to say, hey, do you need some water? Can I press your feet? Can I do this? Can I do that? You know, they're going to be, it's not the doctor. The doctor's going to come in, do his three things, or even really just shifa, try to do that shifa, recommend it. And then the rest is up to you. There's no follow-up. There's no necessarily intensive kinds of care uh, and concern. Just let me know when things are getting really bad. Then let me know. So the rahmah part, the loving care part, is left to the loved ones, right? But what did Allah do in this ayah? Now let's take that, take that, that scene that I've painted for you of that relationship between patient and doctor. Uh, now think about what Allah has done. He's basically described us as those who need to to follow good counsel, to remain healthy emotionally, spiritually, socially, basically in life. Basically in life. And the, he's given us advice in the Quran that, you know, and advice is the kind of thing 
just like motivation, right? You it, it depletes. Motivation can go down, and you hear something and it motivates you again. You know, you you have somebody who mentors you, who gives you good advice, who hears you hear something from them, and they they pick you back up. Like those of you that are into exercise, if you're exercising by yourself, you can drop off. But if you have somebody mentoring you, say, "Come on, let's get up. We gotta do this." And they set goals for you. You're gonna stay on top of it. Mawa means there's a counsel, there's a mentorship that's there to keep you kind of realigned towards the right course. That's mawa counsel from your master. This shapes for me personally, and this is I'm getting to the point why I sh I chose this ayah to 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 inshallah cast a shade on the rest of Ramadan for me, or in light of it that I, I want to spend the rest of Ramadan. I wanted to do this Ramadan a personal. Uh, I do that anyway, but this time I want to merge the two projects. Just my personal reading of the Quran every day. There are ayat that I contemplate on, I think about as I'm reciting, but then there's some ayat that you just, your heart just stops. It just kind of, what? <laughs> it just, you, you get paused by what Allah is saying, right? Personally. And I would take note on this ayah really touched me and it really affected me in a way that I had never experienced before. And I'd make a small note of why. Why did I do that? And that's my personal connection to the Qur'an. But this year what I'm doing, inshallah, is actually going back from the beginning, reading the Qur'an again, of course, as we do. But whenever an ayah touches me for its, its maw'idah, its counsel, for me personally, not for you, not for, oh, somebody emailed me a question and I thought about it and let me see what Allah says about that. Not for you. It's about myself. Because... You know, it's it's one thing for me to sit here in a position of telling you or trying to advise you about how you should connect with the Quran better. But I think the most genuine way to do that is for me to do that myself and to share with you how I'm doing it myself. Because at the end of the day, we should all have a personal, deep, profound connection with the Quran, and we should we should seek its counsel. And I want to show you that process that that I engage in for myself. So every day I'm going to pick, and, and the lecture this lecture is long. Uh, it's going to be maybe 45 minutes or an hour or something. But the Ramadan sessions are going to be 10, 15 minutes at the most. I, I want your attention span to remain. I want you to benefit from something I personally benefited from as I was reciting. So I don't know the plan. I don't know what I am going to share with you on the first day of Ramadan or the next or the next or the next. That's going to depend on where the heart settles. And when when I do find a council that really does like hit me harder... Then I'm going to go and contemplate that ayah, discuss it with some colleagues, study it a little bit, and then share some of those findings with you, inshallah. That's my plan this Ramadan. Just to allow the Qur'an to be counsel for my personal self. It's a completely selfish exercise. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. I know that, that might sound, sound disappointing to some of you, but that's okay. There's plenty of other Facebook pages and YouTube channels. So <laughs> so this, this is مَوْعِذَةٌ مِّنْ رَبِّكُمْ The counsel that comes from your master. So you know what that does for you this year when you're reading the Qur'an? Okay, you're reading a story in the Qur'an. Well, what's Allah? What's, what's the counsel Allah is giving me when he's talking about telling me what the Pharaoh said? What's the counsel Allah is giving me? How is he steering my course when he's talking about the, this previous nation? Or what's the counsel Allah is giving me when he's describing this person or that person? Or he's giving this law? Or what? Every time you read an ayah, everything you read, you read it from this, you put these mawa'idah glasses on and you're looking at the counsel that Allah has given you. What, what is Allah telling me here? What does he want from me? What Because the, the purpose of mawa'idah is to touch your heart. How will this ayah touch my heart is a question you ask yourself. How does this make me feel? And you know what? All of us are suffering from something. All of us are suffering from a painful experience. All of us are suffering from some kind of loss, some kind of abandonment, some kind of scar from the past. There's no human being free from that. Some of you are, are still you know, recovering. Some of you are emotionally scarred. Some of you are physically scarred, you know, physically sick. So difficulty and trauma, trauma, traumatic experiences in this life are, are, are part of all of our lives. And so the next thing I'm looking for in the Quran is For the pain that I have inside my chest. For something that still hurts me. For something that lingers inside me. That, or, you know, and it's not just pain. You know, the, what is inside the chest are... Diseases of the heart like greed and selfishness and you know being self-absorbed and arrogance and you know uh, diseases inside the heart can be heedlessness, uh, 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 an addiction to entertainment or to distract yourself, you know, 
lust. These are all sicknesses that can that can take hold inside of a heart. But then there are also pains inside the heart. There's also emotions inside the heart that linger. A feeling of loneliness, of not being heard, of not being understood, of not being loved. Those are also things that lie inside the chest. Are you know, anxiety, fear? Those are real emotions that can lie inside somebody's chest. They can keep them turning, tossing, and turning like the person in a ship that was about to sink. There's somebody physically sinking on a ship, and then there are people that are emotionally sinking, spiritually sinking. That's a reality. And he says that he has given me and you personally healing, a medication, cure for whatever's going on inside the chest. It's so powerful. I want that. I want to see it. I want to feel it. And I want to expl- and, I, and I want to dig deeper and deeper in it. And so this this second item is it's so powerful. It's telling you and me that all of us are suffering from something. That's a reality because there's no need for shifa. There's if there's no marad, right? There's no need for healing when there's no when there's no sickness. And he didn't just say shifa. He said shifa only ma fis sudur, healing for what lies inside of the chests. You know, it, it's so beautiful that he used this 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 wording because he cares about what's going on inside. There are things that are going inside, going on inside your chest that I will never know about, that your mom will never know about, that your wife or husband will never know about, your siblings will never know about, because they're happening inside your chest. They are your thoughts. They are your. They're they're my fears. They're my anxieties. They're my sadnesses. They're they're my you know they're my troubles. They're my burden. He knows what's inside, and he knows how to cure that. Like there will be there will be. Things about you that you'll feel like your entire life will be spent and nobody will understand. There'll be secrets you'll keep to yourself. Something you keep in a vault inside yourself. It's just you and just you. And here Allah is, they, they talk, psychologists talk about the, the power of vulnerability, of being open, of being able to you know, share with someone the things that scare you, the things that make you weak, your humanness, your flaws, that you can have a genuine relationship with your spouse if you do that, for example. Or any relationship for that matter. If you have real genuine connection with somebody, you you're, you you let your guard down. Well, this ayah is about Allah saying, you don't have to have your guard up with me because I already know before you even say it, I already know what's inside you. You your vulnerability is where you began. You are you are nothing but vulnerable before Allah. Antumul fuqara'u Allah. Right? So he already knows and he's gonna give us that counsel. It's just that do we accept that we are vulnerable before Allah or not? And once he gives us that healing, then he mentions guidance. And when we talk about guidance, you know, we'll talk about things Allah made halal and haram. Uh, guidance is about, you know, uh, uh, the, the rituals of worshipping Allah. That's also part of guidance. What to believe about God, what to believe about the afterlife. Guidance is what to believe and how to act. Those are all acts of guidance, right? And Allah is telling us what to do and what not to do. That's guidance. But there's, it's powerful that Allah mentioned that as number three here. Because when Allah gives you counsel that demonstrates that He cares, and He gives you healing that makes you stronger, that makes you, that sustains you, that nourishes you, now you turn to Allah's guidance and you realize that that guidance every time is already the first two things. So the guidance of Allah is actually counsel that steers you in a better direction. The guidance of Allah following it is actually healing. Now you're your view of Allah's rules, my view of Allah's advice is counsel, no matter how difficult it might be, I recognize something. Just like that patient who says, oh, you just, you just don't want me to eat chocolate cake. You just want me to have a you know, sugarless life. We see things different now. We see that what he's saying is for our own good. And we see guidance in a different way. We see guidance with the lens of mu'idah and shifa. So, and then, then you appreciate the guidance for what it is. And when you start following that guidance, when you start following that guidance, when you start, not only have you experienced a change and I've experienced a change internally, we start feeling like we're healing by the, by the beautiful, loving counsel of Allah's words. But we're actually now following the, the instructions that He gave us. We're living by that guide. We're trying to at least. We're taking one step. We didn't take a thousand miles. We took one half step. When we take that one step, then you experience something that is special because now Allah considers you not just a member of humanity, He considers you a true believer now. 
You came this far. You sought counsel from my words. You sought healing and you experienced it. You tried following my guidance. Now you get something that's special for you. Because you're not just the ayah began, ya yuhannas. But look at what he does. He says, And it's loving care for those who truly believe. This ayah would suggest that Allah has given us in the Qur'an and through the Qur'an His love and care. You start feeling a love from Allah that you never felt before. You know how, how tragic it is when you find people that hear Allah's word or they hear Allah, read Allah's Qur'an and they say, why is Allah so angry? Why is Allah giving us these irra irrational rules? Why is Allah being so harsh? Why is Allah this? Why is Allah that? Because they, they never gave the word of Allah a chance of being mawa'idha and shifa. So they can't see the huda and they definitely don't experience the rahmah. They don't experience the loving care that's injected into every ayah. They don't see it. They can't even see it. Even when Allah is talking about hell, there's still love and care. Because He's telling you about it so you don't go there. He doesn't want that for you. Your perspective on Allah and on the Qur'an completely changes when this becomes the foundation of your relationship with the Qur'an. Of course, we all have some relationship with the Qur'an, but sometimes our relationship is just tajweed. Sometimes our relationship is just studying tafsir. Sometimes, sometimes our relationship is just recognizing the Arabic grammar of it, you know, or memorizing it. Sometimes our relationship is just listening casually to a recitation or a lecture or something. That's, that's all Qur'an is for us. This year, let's make Qur'an different for ourselves. Let's make it مَوْعِذَةٌ مِنْ رَبِّنَا وَشِفَاءٌ لِمَا فِي صُدُورِنَا وَهُدَانَا وَرَحْمَتُنَا Let's make it our mercy. Let's make it our guidance. And then he says at the end, لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ For those who truly have faith. So by the time you go through this process, you're not just Ya'yuhannas, you actually become real believers. And also the, the ishara in this ayah seems to be, the indication seems to be that those who accept this journey with Allah's words, that Allah blesses their life with special rahmah that comes because of the Qur'an. And so the Prophet ﷺ, when he, Allah gave this ayah to him, and Allah has talked about his favors in many places in the Qur'an, not one, lots of places in the Qur'an he talked about his favors. But look at what Allah did when he talks about this favor, that what has come to us. He says, قُلْ بِفَضْلِ اللَّهِ وَبِرَحْمَتِهِ By the way, I know the, my, my introduction seemed like it was completely different from where we are now, right? But think back about what I was saying. What do people say? Can you give, give us a different Qur'an than this? People that are completely content in this life and they don't want to think about anything else. People that are in complete denial of Allah's word, of connecting with Allah. They have no hopes of meeting with Allah. The Qur'an is going to be a way with, in which our hearts can meet with Allah every day. It's, it's actually a response. Look, look at the tragedy of humanity who didn't appreciate what they were given. And now you have a chance. Now, do you want to be like that too? That's the invite here. Qul, this is the 58th ayah. Qul, tell them. The Prophet is being told. Only by the favor of Allah and only by His loving act of mercy. You know how in the beginning we said, people find it weird. Why would they be made a priority? Remember that second ayah? Why would they be such a big deal to God who's got an entire universe to run? Allah says, tell them by the special favor of Allah and by this unique loving care from Him. That's why. That's why you've been given this. You weren't given this to put a burden on you. You were given this because you're being loved. You're given this because you're being favored. That's why you're given Quran. Because you're someone special to Allah. This is, I mean, just internalize that. Just think about what that means to you. Think about what that means to me Because we didn't earn it We didn't earn this Qur'an It's بِفَضْلِ wa bi فَبِذَلِكَ فَلْيَفْرَحُوا Then because of that Because of that favor that can never be competed with They should be filled with joy They should be overrun with joy I find it remarkable that Allah says فَلْيَفْرَحُوا After He said شِفَاءُ لِمَا فِي الصُّدُورِ Healing for what is in the heart, in the chest, means there's pain, there's sadness, there's fear. It's the opposite of joy. And he says, the fact that I gave you a means to overcome your, your pains, and I did that in a way that demonstrates my love to you, for that alone you should be filled with joy. Just holding the Qur'an should fill you with joy. 
You know, there are, I'll tell you, share something personal with you. There are times in my life that I've felt so low that I feel like I don't even deserve Allah's book. So shaitan's wasallah, I don't even deserve it. Why would I, you know, and, and uh, what people say doesn't matter. People say, MashaAllah, you have so much knowledge of the Quran. This, Who cares? People won't matter on Judgment Day. And just because I know a little more than you doesn't mean that I, I know where I stand with Allah. I know where I stand with Allah. And you know we have to experience this joy with the Quran. You do and I do. There's, we're on equal footing here because this is not about who knows more and who knows less. It's not at all. This is about where our hearts are. And our hearts, they fluctuate. Sometimes my heart is close to Allah. Sometimes my heart is far from Allah. Sometimes in, I'm in awe of Allah's words. Sometimes I'm disconnected from Allah's words. I'm human. I'm talking about me. Me. I have to experience this. I need this for myself. I, nobody's in a place where they graduate from the school of Iman and now their Iman is always high. It's not like that. You know, I'll, I'll share something else personal with you. You know, I, I don't know of anybody else who talks as much as I do. <laughs> and I keep, you know, uh, talking about the Quran and lectures on the Quran. I've been doing it for decades and I can't stop. I don't care if nobody's watching. I can't stop. Do you know why? This is me verbalizing the word of Allah to myself. This is how I connect with the Quran, by talking about it. It's therapeutic for me. It's my farah. I swear by Allah, like the, the Yusuf series was going on, and I was, like every day when I would finish a dars, I'd feel good inside. Not because of the comments, or I just feel good that I got to spend time with Allah's words. I got to air out the feelings that the thoughts that I have, the contemplations that I have, I got to express them for myself. This is about myself, which is why I wanted to say that this Ramadan is something different. It is for myself. It's just me and the Quran. I'll you can tag along. <laughs> it's better than anything, whatever they're gathering. This is the conclusion. Well just I mean you know how people put like Weird stickers on their fridges at home, <laughs> like alif lam memes and all that. You want to put a sticker on your fridge? Put fabidalika falyafrahu. Because of that Quran, they should be filled then with joy. They should be over. Farah is more than saada. Saada in Arabic means happiness. And you know what? For a lot of us, the fact that we won't have drama in our life, the fact that we won't have anxiety in our life, we can just breathe and breathe a breath of peace and calm would be heaven. But this is not just calm, this is joy on top of that. For a lot of us, joy isn't even real. You're just, you know, you think playing video games is joy or, you know, going and playing sports or having fun. You know, a lot of times people are doing these things to escape the tragedy of their life. It's not real joy, it's just temporary fix, really just an escape. You know, they're watching artificial, you know, artificial humor, they're watching comedy to get a laugh, but sadness hasn't gone away because real joy hasn't been felt. Look at what Allah is offering you and me. He's offering a healing for our hearts, guidance, loving care. And out of His favor, He's given us something that should, be, should fill us with joy. As if we've been looking for happiness in all the wrong places. You know what's incredible about this ayah? Among the many things that are incredible about this ayah, there is no place in the Quran where Allah really talks about the secret to happiness. How do you become happy? How many people live their lives and I just want to be happy? Why can't I just be happy? Why am I never happy? This is one of those common catastrophic questions in your life and my life. Why is it so hard to be happy? Some people are like, I can't remember the last time I was happy. You know how painful that is? And here Allah says, I can give you joy. I can make you happy. I can give you true contentment. True joy inside your heart. This is the offer from Allah. And because of that then, because of that favor alone, then they should be filled with joy. It is better than whatever else they're collecting. It's interesting that he used the word collecting. He could have said, it is better than everything else. He didn't say that. He said it's better than everything else they're collecting. Because he's commenting on what we do in this life. We just collect. We collect followers on social media. We collect money, we collect shoes, 
we collect shopping items, we collect experiences. I want to go to this resort and that resort and that resort. I want to visit this city and that city and that city. We collect degrees, we collect credentials, collect, collect, collect. And every time we're trying to collect something, we're thinking it's going to bring us some kind of joy. When I collect enough credits, I graduate, I'll have joy. When I collect enough experience, I'll have a promotion, I'll have joy. Collection, 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 collection. We start, it's time we started collecting Allah's words in our heart. That collection will give us joy. It doesn't, those, some of you know way more Quran than I will ever know. Some of you know almost nothing. That's okay. Because this isn't about who knows and who doesn't know. Even the one who's known the Quran, recites it every single day, may be missing out on maw'idah, shifa, hudan, rahmah. They may be missing out on it. I don't want to miss on it. I want to capture some of it every day. What better month to get into the habit of finding healing from Allah's words than this month? What better word? I, as, as I engage in this series with you guys, I'm going to try to give you advice that I follow on trying to extrapolate guidance and a process by which you can, you can start your own journey. You don't have to become an expert before you start a journey with the Quran. You can start somewhere. There's help available. There's, there, there's things you can do even now. And so inshallah, we're going to start, I'm going to start you know, doing that for you because as personal as this is for me, it would give me tremendous joy if each of you had your own connection, your own personal connection, not dependent on anybody else with Allah's book. And you were able to explore your own answers and you, mm. you were you're able to ask and get the right answers to your own questions but those questions are coming from a good place inside of your heart. So I pray that, that Allah really connects our hearts to the Qur'an this Ramadan. That, I, that Allah Azawajal really allows us to live the beautiful spirit of this ayah, these two ayat, and give us, fill our hearts with joy because of His words. That He, he gives us that. He gives me that. I pray that He gives me that. And I, and I pray for you that Allah gives you that, each, each one of you. And so uh, let's embark on this journey together. I'm excited about it, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, and I hope to see you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Hakim. Wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayati wa dhikl al-Hakim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.